Hey everybody, I'm Adam Shaw, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And over the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about one of those words that you really only ever hear used around the church, and that's the word gospel. So together we've learned that the word gospel literally means good news, but inside of the church it refers to the good news of Jesus. So we've been talking about what that good news is. But today we're going to detour just a little bit, and we're going to talk about what keeps us from being able to receive the good news of Jesus. And that all revolves around our sin. And we think that we can wipe our own sin away like we're playing some cosmic game, like there's a scoreboard, and if we just do enough good things in our life, it will cancel out the bad things in our lives. But we're going to see in today's episode that that's not really the case. So let's get right into this episode's sermon. So last week, we spent our time together talking about the sin in our lives. And before I spoke a single word in last week's sermon, I knew that I needed to tread carefully when I started talking about sin. And I knew that I needed to tread carefully because of the way that the church has approached the subject of sin in the past. Now, whether you're talking about an old-time preacher pounding on the pulpit and ranting and raving against a particular wrongdoing, or if you're talking about a small church in Kansas that has a nasty habit of picketing and protesting at funerals while professing who it is that God hates, the church has a history of using our conversations about sin to bully other people instead of reflecting on our own failures and our own shortcomings. But whether we want to admit it or not, we all have plenty of our own failures. We all have plenty of our own shortcomings. We all have plenty of flaws and failures. We all have plenty of sin in our lives. The Apostle Paul, who is the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, well, he makes this explicitly clear for us in a letter that he wrote to the churches in the ancient city of Rome. Here's what Paul told them. He said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. You've sinned. I've sinned. We have all sinned. But what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to sin? Because the word sin, it's another one of those words that we use a whole lot around the church. And since we use it a lot, we all kind of sort of think we know what it means. So we never really stop to define it. So some people will tell you that sin is when you do something that's wrong. Other people will tell you that you sin when you break one of the Ten Commandments. And other people will say that you sin whenever you disobey God. And all of these answers, well, they're on the right track but they're only partial definitions of what sin is. Each of these definitions, it tells you that you've done something that you shouldn't have done, but none of these definitions tell you why you shouldn't have done these things. And I think we all need to understand why. So my definition of sin is a little different. My definition of sin is that sin is anything that separates us from God and God's purpose for our lives. Sin is anything that separates us from God and God's purpose for our lives. So let's try out my definition for just a second. Now, I think that all of us would agree that murder is a sin. But why is murder a sin? I mean, clearly it's wrong, and clearly it breaks one of the Ten Commandments, and clearly it causes us to disobey what God wants us to do. But what makes murder a sin is that it separates us from God and God's purpose for our lives. And that's because God is the one who created us and breathed life into us. God is life. So when we take a life of another, we're doing something contrary to the very nature of God. And when we do something contrary to the nature of God, 
we are separated from God and from God's purpose for our lives. So sin is anything that separates us from God and from God's purpose for our lives. But why don't we want to be separated from God? Well, that's because God is the one who created you. God made you with his own hands and breathed life into you with his own breath. And God didn't just make you. God created you on purpose and for a purpose too. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it in a letter that he wrote to the churches in the city of Ephesus, he says, You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God knows why you were created. God knows what you were created to do. So if you are separated from God and God's purpose for your life, then you cannot live the life that God wants you to live. And God wants your life to be abundant. Jesus, who is God made human, he tells us so much when he says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. God wants your life to be full of life. God wants your life to be full of things that give life, like hope and peace and joy and love, instead of things that take life. But when you sin, you're separated from God's plan for your life. So you miss out on having the abundant life that God wants you to have, and you miss out on making the difference that you can make when you're separated from God. So let's take just a second and recap what we've covered so far. We are all sinners, and because we're all sinners, we have all been separated from God. And because we've all been separated from God, we're missing out on the abundant life that God wants us to have. So what can we do about that? How can we respond to the sin in our lives? Well, personally, I think that there are three ways that we all respond to sin in our lives. And the first way that we respond to sin is the way that King David responded after his infamous affair with Bathsheba. Now, King David is considered to be the greatest king in Israel's history. But just because David was a great king, it doesn't mean that he was always a very good person. And that was definitely the case when it came to his relationship with Bathsheba. Let me explain exactly what I mean. Bathsheba was the wife of a soldier in Israel's army, the same army that King David was the commander-in-chief of. And David became enamored with Bathsheba while her husband was away at war. The two of them slept together and they conceived a child. And to cover up their affair, David ultimately gave an order that led to Bathsheba's husband's death on the battlefield. And how did David respond to this sin? Well, we find out in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where we're told that, the Lord sent Nathan, who was a prophet, and spoke on behalf of God, to David. When Nathan arrived, he said, there were two men in the same city, one rich, one poor. The rich man had a lot of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing, just one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised that lamb, and it grew up with him and his children. It would eat from his food and drink from his cup, even sleep in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to visit the rich man, but he wasn't willing to take anything from his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had arrived. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the visitor. David got very angry at the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the one who did this is demonic. He must restore the ewe lamb seven times over, because he did this, and because he had no compassion. 
You are that man, Nathan told David. David was completely unaware that he had even sinned. At this point, he was so far from God that David didn't even realize, uh, realize the horrible thing he had just done. He had just ordered the execution of another human being, and it didn't faze him at all. Right now, you may be so far from God this morning that you can't even tell the difference between things that give life and things that take life away anymore. You may be so far from God that you can do horrible things without even being phased by them. And you can respond to your sin by being unaware that you did anything to separate you from God. Or you can respond to your sin the way that a man named Ananias responded to his sin in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts, it tells us stories about how the church grew after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. And in this particular story, we discover that members of the church, they've been selling all of their possessions and giving the money to the church. But in Acts chapter 5, we're told, However, a man named Ananias, along with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he withheld some of the proceeds from the sale. He brought the rest and he placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Peter asked, Ananias, how is it that Satan has influenced you to lie to the Holy Spirit by withholding some of the proceeds from the sale of your land? Wasn't that property yours to keep? After you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do with whatever you wanted? What made you think of such a thing? You, have lied to, you, you haven't lied to other people, but to God. In this story, Ananias, who was a member of the early church, he believed that God's mission for his life was to sell a piece of property and to give the proceeds of the sale to the church. But once he had that money in his hand, well, he couldn't help but keep a little bit of it. But rather than just admitting that he kept some of the money for himself, nothing would have been wrong with that. Ananias responded to his sin by simply not caring. He kept the money and he lied about it without so much as a second thought. That's the way that a lot of us respond to our sins, too. We know that we're doing something that separates us from God, but we respond to our sin by just not caring about it. So we continue to do it without an ounce of remorse. So we can be unaware of our sin and we cannot care about our sin, or we can respond the way that the prodigal son responded when he realized that he had sinned. Now, the story of the prodigal son, it's a parable about a recklessly extravagant, that's actually what the word prodigal means, recklessly extravagant son, that Jesus tells. And in this story, the son demands his inheritance from his father while his father is still living. And it doesn't take long for the son to squander everything that his dad gave him. At his lowest point, this son, who had been living high on the hog off of his father's dime, is forced to feed pigs and eat the leftovers just to stay alive. But in Luke 15, we're told, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? But I'm starving to death. I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. When the prodigal son realized that he had been separated from his father, he did something to repair it. He turned back to his father and he went back home. 
So when it comes to us and our sins and how we respond to them, we are either unaware of the sin in our lives, we don't care about the sin in our lives, or we want to repair the sin in our lives. So which one of those describes you? Because we've already seen that we all sin. We've already seen that we all do things that separate us from God. So how do you respond to the sin in your life? Are you unaware of it? Do you not care about it? Or do you want it to be repaired? Well, I'll tell you this. Only one of these responses leads back to the abundant life that God wants you to have. The other two are going to lead to more brokenness and pain in your life. So if you want to be who God created you to be, if you want to do what God created you to do, if you want to have the abundant life that God wants you to have, your sin must be repaired. But how do you do that? How do you repair the sin in your life? Well, I have a little visual aid to show you how a lot of us think that it works. So I've put this scoreboard together. And you can see on one side of the scoreboard, the blue side, that you've got good deeds. And then on the other side of the board, the red side, you have the bad things that you've done. And a lot of us think that all we have to do to repair the sin in our life is to just score a few more points on the good side than on the bad side and we'll be good to go. This is what that looks like. You can imagine that I'm going along and I lose my temper and I yell at my daughter for no good reason. So I put a couple of points up on the bad side. But I don't have to worry too much about that because I know that when the weekend rolls around, I can spend some extra quality time with her and make it up to her and score a couple of points on my good deed side. But then I score a couple more points on the bad side because I forgot to drop the letter at the post office that my wife asked me to mail and I might even tack on an extra point if I lie to her about it. The next day, when I finally do make it to the post office, let's just imagine that things don't get much better. I cut in front of a sweet little old lady to get in line first, and when I'm leaving the post office, I have to lay on the horn and say some things under my breath that I probably shouldn't say because somebody double-parked behind me. And before I even realized it, the bad side of my life has jumped out to a big lead over the good side. So that means that I have to hunker down now and do everything that I can to put some more points up on the good side of my life. So I'm going to spend some extra Saturday mornings volunteering down at the soup kitchen. And when Sunday morning rolls around, I'm going to be the first one coming in through the doors of the church, helping out however I can. I might even volunteer at Vacation Bible School to score a few points or bring in brownies for the church's bake sale. And then I think that I'm good to go because I'm a little bit ahead. But our life becomes this constant back and forth between sinning and making up for it, sinning and making up for it. And we just hope that when our time on earth is through, that the good side has managed to score a few more points than the bad side so that we can reap our eternal reward. And we're not the first people to think that life is just some kind of cosmic scoreboard. And if we can just do enough good in our lives, that it will cancel out all of the bad things that we've done. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, this, he's dealing with the same kind of thinking when he writes his letter to the church in the ancient city of Ephesus. The book of Ephesians, it's inside of the New Testament, and every book inside of the New Testament essentially covers one of two topics. New Testament books are either going to tell us about Jesus and his life, his ministry, his miracles, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, or they're going to tell us about how our faith in Jesus grew and spread throughout the first century. Well, Ephesians, it's the second kind of book. But that doesn't mean that Ephesians is a history book written to tell us about important people and dates. 
The book of Ephesians is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in the first century. And when Paul wrote letters to churches in the first century, he wasn't just writing to be a nice guy or to check up on some of his friends. When Paul wrote letters, he was almost always addressing a specific problem that a church was facing. And the problem that Paul is addressing in his letter to the church in Ephesus revolves around this cosmic scoreboard. There were people in that church who believed that you had to do certain things in order to repair your sin. Or to put it another way, they thought you had to work your way back into God's good graces. So this is the debate that Paul steps into when he writes his letter. So let's see what Paul has to say to the Ephesians. We'll start reading together in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. At one time, you were like a dead person because of the things that you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to live like people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted to so that you were children headed for punishment, just like everybody else. Now, Paul isn't really telling us anything in these three verses of Scripture that I haven't already told you this morning. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that we are all sinners, that we are all like dead people because of the things that we have done that have separated us from the abundant life that God wants us to have. And because we are all sinners, we have a side of us that just wants to keep racking up points on the bad side of our life. But in these three verses, Paul is also alluding to something that we haven't talked about yet. Paul is alluding to the fact that something has happened that has forever shifted that cosmic scoreboard. Paul is alluding to the fact that something has happened to us as people of faith that has fixed our sin and our broken relationship with God. Paul says you were dead, that you used to live like people of the world, that you used to do whatever felt good, that you were headed to destruction. So we know that something has happened that has righted our wrongs. We know that something has happened that has fixed our sins. We know that something has happened that has ended our separation from God. We know that something has happened that has put us back on the path that God has always wanted for our lives. But what is it? What is that something that has happened? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not some three-point shot at the buzzer that puts your good side up at the end of the game. And it's not some big humanitarian act that you did that washed away all of your sins and made you whole again. It's not something that you did at all. Because there is nothing that you can do on your own to fix the brokenness of sin. There is nothing that you can do on your own to fix the brokenness of sin. Because sin isn't a game. And the moment that sin enters into your life, you have already lost. The Apostle Paul puts it this way for us when he says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of a single sin, just one point on the bad side of that cosmic scoreboard, is death. No matter how much good you do, it's death. So when it comes to sin, if you play it like it's a game, you've already lost. But fortunately, it's not up for us to beat sin. It's not up to us to repair our sin. It's not up to us to fix what is broken. Instead, it's up to God. 
And as the Apostle Paul continues writing to the Ephesians, he explains what God did for you and for me when he writes, However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. God beat your sin. God repaired your sin. God fixed what is broken in your life. And there was nothing that you did to earn it. There was nothing that you could do to to deserve it. There was nothing that was good enough for you to fix your own brokenness. The only thing that could fix it was the grace of God. And what is the grace of God? Well, I personally love the definition that a three-year-old little boy named Jack once gave for grace. When he said, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And when it comes to repairing our sin, when it comes to fixing what is broken in us, we get what we don't deserve. God fixes it through his grace because God loves you that much. God loves you so much that he can't stand for you to be separated from him. God loves you so much that he can't stand for anything to come between you and him. God loves you so much that he wants you to have an abundant life even when you don't deserve it. God fixes what is broken to give you the chance to follow him and to fulfill his purpose for your life. So stop trying to fix your brokenness on your own. Stop thinking that you can somehow do enough good to outweigh the bad in your life. And start turning to God. Because God has fixed what is broken in you. And now God wants to make you whole. Let's pray together. God, you know that every single one of us have sinned. Every single one of us has done something that has separated us from you. And because of that, God, we deserve death. But God, you want all of us to have an abundant life. So you did something to end our separation from you. You did something to repair what is broken in our lives. We never could have done that on our own, God. So we are so thankful that you've extended your grace to us. And God, my prayer is right now that if there is anyone who has not received that grace for themselves, if there's there's somebody out there that has not accepted your gift of grace and love, God, I just pray that you lay that on their heart, how much you have done for them and how much you love them and how much you want to be back in that right relationship with them and how much you want for them to have that abundant life. And God, for those of us who have received your grace, I just pray that you remind us that we're not perfect people, that we still mess up, that we still fall short, that we still sin and that we still need your grace as well, God. And challenge us to extend that same grace to other people as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has reminded you of what God has done for you. Because unlike what a lot of people think, life is not some sort of cosmic scoreboard. It's not about how many bad things you do and how many good things you do, because one bad thing, one sin, separates you from God. And there is nothing that you can do on your own to reconcile yourself to God. The only thing that can repair the sin in your life 
is God's grace. And by God's grace, he is not going to let anything stand between us and him. Now, I hope that you'll join us next Sunday as we wrap up this series of sermons. And we're going to talk about what you need to do to be reconciled to God, to start your relationship with God, to have the life that God wants you to have. That episode will drop next Sunday. And as always, let me encourage you, if you haven't done so yet, to subscribe to this podcast. And it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. While you're in that podcasting app, if you can, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. And your reviews do mean a whole lot to us. Your reviews will help spread the word that you've heard here today with other people. So as always, guys, I hope that you have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.